everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. For today, we will continue with our series of thematic investing conversations. Joining me today here in studio, glad to welcome back Nadia Lovell, Senior Equity Strategist for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Nadia, great to be with you today here in person. Thank you for dropping by and for spending some time with our listeners and clients here on Top of the Morning. Thanks so much for having me, Dan. Absolutely. So, Nadia, you're joining our listeners, our clients today to talk about how the UBS Chief Investment Office recently launched the Diabetes and Obesity Tactical Equity Theme. So, as a good starting point, Nadia, can you speak a bit to the genesis behind this theme launch? Yes, Dan. You know, one of the impetuses for the theme is the treatment innovation that is really happening in this space. You know, we'll get into more of the specifics a little bit later. But some drugs, specifically glucocon-like peptide 1, GLP for short, Dan, um, that were developed and has been used for the treatment of diabetes, have recently shown good clinical results in non-diabetic obese patients. Both diabetes and obesity are among the world's largest uh, health crises, and this is according to the World Health Organization, affects a large population. You know, the prevalence is quite large and growing. Uh, There is a high unmet need for these two chronic diseases. I mean, in fact, globally, what you're looking at is over half a billion adults are living with diabetes, and that includes over 30 million people right here in the U.S., So that's roughly 10% of the world's adult population. And so, Dan, that's about one in every 10 American. Um, You might know one or two persons um, living with this chronic condition. I mean, I know I certainly do. Um, You know, the International Diabetes Federation Atlas projects that the number of adults living with diabetes will, in fact, increase by about 20% by the time we get to the end of this decade. And then for obesity, so that's individuals down with BMIs over 30, that's projected to grow even faster. About a 50% spike in the number of obese adults is expected by the end of this decade. And so that will be 1.2 billion adults worldwide, and that's based on the World Obesity Atlas projections. You know, today, that's about 13% of adults in the world are considered obese. And that will jump to over 20%. You know, in the, in the U.S., the U.S. actually tops the charts for the countries with the country with the largest number of obese adults. So call it, Dan, you know, nearly 100 million Americans. That's about a third of Americans are considered obese. And by 2030, nearly half is projected to be if we don't have intervention that really changes the trajectory of what's happening. So, Nadia, those numbers you put around that quite eye-opening, you think about the global economic impact of diabetes, obesity, it sounds quite real from what you've shared with us. Can you expand a bit on the numbers for us, what you're seeing? Yes, Dan, you know, the the economic impact is somewhat multifaceted as well. You know, one, there's, of course, the direct medical costs that's associated with these chronic diseases. And then two, there's the indirect costs just due to loss of productivity. You know, both diabetes and obesity tends to be associated with a number of comorbid diseases and conditions. So let's think about that for a minute. You know, high blood pressure, high blood sugar, um, excuse me, can lead to serious health complications. And so that might include uh, heart disease, vision loss, kidney disease, heart attacks, and even lower limb amputations. 
diabetics actually tends to incur over two times more medical costs than those people without diabetes. You know, in fact, when you look at some of the statistics from the American Diabetes Association, they estimate that more than one, more than one in four healthcare dollars is spent on obesity. Let's put some dollars and cents around that, Dan. So that's nearly $250 billion is spent each year on diabetes and another $100 billion indirectly. Um, and by indirect, I mean loss of productivity. So work-related costs, you know, people might need to be out ill, you know, or even, you know, presenteeism. Uh, for obesity, the burden is even greater. Yeah, excess weight loss is actually linked to over 235 health complications. And so that includes type 2 diabetes, heart diseases, hypertension, and the list goes on and on from here, Dan. You know, people living with obesity or who are overweight have 2.7 times greater healthcare costs. And much of that is actually spent on the complications due to obesity and not actually on obesity itself. You know, in the U.S., that annual cost of obesity-related complication and comorbidities is nearly $400 billion in direct costs in over a trillion in indirect costs. So Dan, the, the cost is great in terms of healthcare costs, economic costs, and, and unfortunately life itself, because you know, obesity is a is a cost of nearly one out of five adult sets. So these are grave conditions, Dan. So Nadia, with that in mind, to your point, the human toll, first and foremost, that's a very important consideration. You, you factor in the economic impacts you just shared with us. I, I have to believe there's a lot in the way of treatments, advancements being made, innovations underway to mitigate the impacts of these diseases. What's taking shape at the moment that you can share with us? Yes, Dan. You know, um, these are complex chronic diseases, um, and it can be very difficult and challenging to manage them. But there are recent advances, uh, particularly for the treatment of obesity, uh, that has gotten a lot of excitement. Uh, you know, specifically in a class of drug known as glucocon-like peptide 1, also known as GLP-1. And these drugs help to regulate appetite. Uh, now, this class of drug isn't actually all that new. Um, they've been around for a while. Um, they were first approved back in 2005 for the treatment of type 2 diabetes and helps to lower blood sugar. But since then, there have been newer versions, more effective versions of this class of drugs, as well as improvement in drug delivery, so higher potency, more stable compounds that's leading to lower injection frequency. I don't know about you, Dan, but I don't like lean needles. I don't like to be pricked. So less injection sounds good to me. Few um, people do. Exactly. <laughs> now, there's much more focus uh, over the last year, particularly um, on GLP-1 for the treatment of obesity. You know, um, uh, Wagovi, which is owned by European pharmaceutical company uh, Novo uh, Nordis, uh, was approved last year in 2001. And that made it the first GLP-1 drug approved for obesity. You know, studies, in, in studies, you know, obese patients taking Wagovi actually lost about 15% of their body weight on average. And to put that into context, older weight loss drugs typically saw, you know, at best, mid-single-digit percentage weight loss. So this is a meaningful improvement, Dan. You know, the second GLP-1 drug, which is currently approved, 
for diabetes could get approval for obesity by early 2024. And that drug, Manjaro, is owned by American pharmaceutical company Eli Lilly. In clinical trial, Manjaro actually showed even higher weight loss, on average about 20%. So along with weight loss, in these studies, these drugs are also showing cardiovascular benefits. So they're lowering the risk of heart attacks and strokes. So this is potentially a big deal, Dan, because today the U.S., laws classify, you know, weight loss treatments as lifestyle drugs. So Medicare are prohibited um, from covering these drugs. Um, so potential cardiovascular benefits for these drugs could lead the government, you know, Congress to potentially reevaluate its stance on um, weight loss drugs. So we have GLP for the treatment of diabetes. We now have it for the treatment of obesity. So innovation in pharmaceuticals, um, but there's also innovation in the treatment for diabetes in medical devices. And I'm specifically talking about continuous glucose monitoring and insulin pump delivery. So diabetic patients typically need to monitor their glucose levels down throughout the day. You know, historically, this is done by pricking your finger um, and then get collecting blood and testing that blood on a stick. So finger sticks. Um, for some patients, this might need to be done multiple times a day. Again, Dan, ouch, you know. Now, um, continuous glucose monitoring, also known as uh, CGM, these devices over the last five years have been replacing these finger sticks. You know, these devices, they actually attach to your body they have gotten smaller, they have gotten smarter, they have gotten more accurate. You know, they automatically, what they do, Dan, is measure the patient's blood glucose level every few minutes. Um, throughout the day, they store that data. And some CGM devices are now even as small as a penny. So they can be very inconspicuous on the body. You know, insulin pumps is another device that's being used to manage diabetes. Uh, these pumps are inserted just under the skin um, to deliver insulin to diabetics as they need them. Uh, there's also innovation. I think what's really excited is connecting these two systems and devices. So CGMs and insulin pumps, having them work together where the CGM allows the pumps to adjust uh, insulin and deliver insulin based on your, your blood glucose level, so the CGM readout. So essentially what you have happening in the space is an artificial pancreas, which is quite exciting in terms of managing um, diabetes going forward. Well, ongoing efforts across many fronts to combat the impacts of these diseases, and it's encouraging to hear about how these treatments, therapeutics, have been evolving over the course of time, and it sounds like a lot of innovations are underway. With that in mind, Nadia, what does the opportunity set look like today for investors here? You know, Dan, as, as, as I mentioned earlier, there's a large unmet need in both diabetes and obesity. It's greatly underpenetrated under and underserved. So, uh, uh, but Dan, I, I would be remiss if I, I didn't acknowledge that there's been recent volatility within some of the stocks that are related to diabetes over the last few months. Um, Obesity is the leading cause of type 2 diabetes. And with the new, more effective GLP-1 drugs to treat diabetes that I talked about, um, 
there's investors' concerns that this might lower the longer-term total addressable market for diabetes. So less obesity could mean less people entering that type 2 diabetes funnel. Uh, you know, type 2 diabetes is the most common form of diabetes. It accounts for 90 to 95% of diabetics. But we don't think that this is a zero-sum game. You know, we believe that both can coexist in terms of the treatment and there's investment opportunities in both the treatment of diabetes and obesity. You know, as I mentioned earlier, there's only one GLP-1 drug that is currently approved for obesity and a potentially a second one might get approved by early 2024. Uh, we, we think that these two drugs will dominate the obesity market for the foreseeable future. But today there is supply constraint. There is limited insurance coverage for obesity specifically. Now, remember, as I said earlier, GLP-1s have been approved for the treatment of diabetes for some time. So what that means is that the um, insurance coverage is better, access is better for the treatment of diabetes, and that market continues to grow. So, you know, some industry executives suggest that GLP-1 therapeutic markets could become an over $100 billion market within this decade. So, and that's going to be driven uh, both by uh, diabetes and obesity. So we think that there's opportunity there. But we also think that there's considerable growth opportunity for diabetes device uh, uh, devices, you know, as I talked about earlier, continuous glucose monitoring, so CGM and insulin pump. You know, the growth of those devices have been quite strong over the last few years, Dan, but their penetration in the diabetes market still remains quite low, uh, relatively low. So there's still a long growth runway when we look ahead as penetration increase, which we expect it to, to do in coming years. Uh, you know, we see the CGM as being complementary to GLP-1s. We see them working together, just like I talked about CGM and insulin pumps working together. You know, in fact, what we have heard from some of the G uh, CGM companies uh, recently is that CGM uses has actually increased across all types to diabetes pay, uh, populations following the use of GLP-1. So it's not one over the other. It's the two working together to produce better patient outcome. So we also see C uh, CGMs also being complementary to the use of GLP-1s for weight loss treatment. What could actually happen now, again, as I said earlier, insurance coverage isn't broad yet. For obesity. But what you could see happening is that payers might actually encourage or even require the use of a CGM device um, before and even doing uh, GLP-1 treatment for obesity. So Dan, we think that there's a lot of uh, opportunities in both the obesity um, and diabetes um, space, especially if you have a longer-term perspective. But but there could be continued near-term volatility as this debate between obesity and diabetes and effect in the funnel continues. Well, Nadia, thank you for dropping by to shed some light on this story, this theme which is impacting many on a global scale. This is a story that will remain with us for quite some time, and it is fascinating to hear about how the therapeutics are advancing and it's interesting to hear about the innovations in place so more to come there but nadia thank you for dropping by and for sharing with our listeners our clients insights into this investment theme thanks for having me dan
Again, today we have been joined by Nadia Lovell, Senior Equity Strategist for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. For our listeners and clients, please be sure to reference the correlating thematic note on diabetes and obesity available for you now up on UBS.com slash CIO. For clients of UBS, simply reach out to your UBS financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the publication directly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.